as they are dismissing, uh, Seth wanted to remind parents and grandparents, uh, don't forget to grab a calendar that he put together this past week. Uh, I think you can find some out here in the lobby at the welcome desk. Um, and uh, also, I know at the bulletin board beside his office, uh, you can grab some there too. So, uh, And I think he's got the rest of the year pl planned out. So uh, make sure you stop by and uh, grab a calendar if you did not get one this past Wednesday. Um, so that's that. Um, Wednesday nights, is Miss Sarah Crocker not here? I have not seen her. Oh, okay. Um, Donna, do you know what we're having? She's not cooking, so we, we need to cater in something. All right, I need to think about that, but I promise you it'll be something good. All right, so uh, let's do that. Um, also, next Sunday, one week from today, is National Back to Church Sunday. Uh, a lot of churches across our country are participating in that. So last week, you know, uh, during the message, we talked about taking a chance, how Esther took a chance. Hopefully, after last Sunday and the message last Sunday, you took a chance on talking to somebody about God, about Jesus, about bringing them to church even. Um, so I challenged y'all last week to uh, fill up this place, especially this coming Sunday, the 17th. Um, so let's try to do that, okay? Say, got it. Awesome. All right, so uh, this morning we are wrapping up our series called For Such a Time as This. And uh, we're going to be in Esther once again, uh, starting in chapter 7. Uh, if you want to go ahead and, uh, and turn there, uh, Esther chapter 7. <clears throat> but uh, let me tell you, sometimes the outcome of things, certain situations, they hang in the balance. Like, will it be a catastrophe or will it be a conquest? The definition of hanging in the balance is a state of doubt or suspense regarding the outcome of something. The balance referred to is the old weighing device in which an object, the object that's going to be weighed, is put in one pan and the weights of known quantity are added one by one to the other pan until the two pans are balanced. Uh, Y'all know the scale that I'm talking about? this weighing device I'm talking about. If you're a little confused, this is a picture of it. So do you know what I'm talking about now? The two pans? All right. There have been uh, events in, in history, all throughout history, in which, the outcome hung, in which the outcome has hung in the balance. If it went one way, disaster would certainly ensue. It, it would be there. It would be very dis disastrous. If it went the other way, triumph would result there. Fateful decisions were made at key moments in time. For example, Napoleon invaded Russia. Decca Records decided not, not to sign the Beatles. Twelve publishing companies turned down the author of the Harry Potter book, the first one. You think they're kicking them, their cells because of that? You know, all these years later? Uh, someone made the decision, too, to only have 16, yes, 16 lifeboats on the boat, the Titanic. 
because they were pretty certain that that ship would not sink. Some of you may remember the, the basketball player Lynn Bias. Who remembers that name? Lynn was one of the greatest basketball, especially college basketball players that ever lived. I know some of you won't like this, but Lynn Bias's final regular season uh, game uh, as a player uh, of the University of Maryland Terrapin, he and his team, the Maryland Terrapins or the Terps, they beat the UNC Tar Heels. And during that game, he was just unstoppable. He had such a great game. On draft night of that particular year, it seemed all of his dreams were going to come true. He was picked second in the overall draft by the Boston Celtics in the 1986 NBA draft that year on June the 17th. On June 18th, he and his dad went to Boston to meet the coaches and the management there for the Celtics organization. And he also began negotiations with Reebok, the shoe company, for a five-year, $1.6 million deal. Lynn was going to be a millionaire, and he was going to be able to provide and take care of his entire family. After coming home from Boston, he went back to the University of Maryland's campus in College Park, Maryland, up in the D.C. area. And uh, he wanted to go hang out with his friends and just celebrate the great opportunity that he was about to embark on. Around 2.30 or 3 that night or early in the morning, they began using cocaine in the dorm. Lynn Bias ended up having a seizure and he collapsed to the floor. His friends tried to revive him, but they could not. Finally, at 6.30 in the morning, some four hours later, the friends decided it was a good time to call 911. Four hours later, EMTs did all that they could, but they could not revive him. And finally, Lynn Bias would be pronounced dead at 8.44 a.m. at the local hospital there in Maryland. From all the reports, Lynn was a good kid. There are reports, you know, talking about this instance or this story that this was the first ever time that he messed around with cocaine. You know, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but he had such a promising future that was ripped away by a simple, terrible decision. Lynn didn't know that his life was hanging in the balance that day or that night. He didn't realize that evening the consequences of his decision. I wouldn't imagine if Lynn could have a second chance at that, that he would make a different decision. But no second chance was coming. Why is this important? You know, just about every day, we make little decisions that can have great impact on our lives. But there are some decisions that have a greater impact on life in which the curse or the course of our life hangs in the balance because of what we do. 
It could be one little fateful decision, like drink or not drink. Or you can say, I'm going to celebrate with that one drug, just one. Just one drug. The problem is we often don't think about the consequences when we are making some of our decisions in life. All of us uh, have been in positions, uh, uh, sorry, I I jumped ahead. Um, Let me say this, and we are often not in control enough to determine the outcome of whatever goes on. Uh, We want the outcome to be good, but, you know, maybe oftentimes it can go south, it can go bad. Life hangs in the balance, and we have no control, we have no power over that fact. It seems like a good idea at the time, but it's the worst decision that maybe that we could ever make. All of us have been put in positions where we have made a decision that proved a little ill-fated. Esther, that we've been talking about this whole series, was in one of those situations. You know, over the last three weeks, we have been talking about Esther, and you, were, you may remember these things. You know, Esther was chosen to be the new queen in that Persian empire. Just think about these guys, Haman and Mordecai, and just the relationship between those two guys. The king put an edict into effect. Mordecai had a challenge for his own niece or adoptive daughter, Esther. For such a time as this, it's the name of our sermon series this week, But that's just talking about how and when Esther was made queen and put into power for such a time as this. There was a banquet that was planned and carried out. Last week, we looked at Haman's excitement and how it turned to anger when he saw Mordecai. His friends wanted Mordecai impaled on a a pole that was 75 feet tall. But instead, King Xerxes decided to honor Mordecai for saving his life a little while prior to that. The king used Haman's own suggestions about how to honor a person the king delighted into honoring Mordecai. And like I said last week, because these two were so opposite, Mordecai and Haman, Haman wanted Mordecai dead because he wouldn't bow down to him. But to be a fly on the wall when the king told Haman that you have to do these things for Mordecai, the same things that you, Haman, suggested. Haman had to lead Mordecai around the city, around the kingdom, on one of the king's horses, and and with a robe on Mordecai that the king had worn before. And he had to go out screaming, Haman did, that this is what is done for the one that the king delights to honor. And when he, Haman, returned home, he was very shameful. His wife and his friends told him that it was over. He was doomed. And at that moment, envoys from the king came to bring Haman to the banquet. Either Esther will succeed or she will fail. And this would end up in either catastrophe or conquest, disaster or triumph. 
Today, our last week in this series for such a time as this, we will discover what Esther's plan involved and how God used her to save his people ultimately, but Esther's people as well. So the big idea today is when life hangs in the balance, make the right choice and trust in Jesus. This is all we can do, right? Trust in Jesus. We don't know the outcomes of our decisions. We talked about that a little before. But if we do what our conscience tells us is right and that we trust in God, we, you and I, we should have no regrets whatsoever. And that's what Esther had to do. Even as queen, that's what she had to do. Let's look at the big reveal this morning. Esther would finally reveal her request to the king because Xerxes, her husband, the king, asked her what she wanted. The king had been waiting. So, like, a day before the previous day's banquet, he asked her what she wanted, but she didn't reveal it then, but now it was time to do so. Let's read Esther, starting uh, chapter 7, verse 1. This is what it says. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Esther, or Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, he said, and it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, wiped out, done away with. If we had merely sold, been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Verse 5 says, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who had dared to do such a thing, a.k.a. get rid of your people? Esther said, An adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. The king and Haman, you know, they were once again drinking. There was no surprise there. I think throughout this whole series, we, we've talked about that over and over. And the king, at this time, was feeling pretty good. He was really pleased with Esther and asked her again, what is it that you want? I'll give you anything, he said to her. So she spilt the beans. Right then and right there, she said, Please, king, spare my people from being wiped out or done away with. Because there was that edict out there. Just because Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, that they wanted to get rid of all of Mordecai's people, which were the Jewish folks, Esther's folks. But Xerxes, he had no idea what, what she was talking about. Remember, Xerxes did not even know his own wife was Jewish. I'm not even sure if he knew about the edict that Haman sent out and how it you know, was to have all the Jewish people get killed or murdered. 
he had foolishly given, uh, just given Haman the power to do whatever he wanted to do. It's like one of those things, get out of my hair, Haman. You can do what you want to do with my blessing. So I don't think Xerxes knew all of what was happening. But now the king is upset. Someone is messing with my queen, he said. Someone is a threat to her, and he isn't going to stand for that. So he said, who is it? Who is threatening you? So, you know, it's like one of those times, wait for it. Wait for it. And I'm sure Haman was sitting back in some dark corner hearing what the conversation was and what was happening. And then Esther, she said what she said. The one responsible is Haman. Can you imagine Haman? You think he was sweating a little bit? In that situation, I bet if Haman was holding a cup in that dark back corner, I'm sure it probably fell to the floor. Have you guys had one of those, um, um, like the metal cups, like a Yeti or, or something like that? And if you're on, if you're standing on a hard like cement surface, how loud that racket is <laughs> if you drop it. So maybe imagine something like that. When Haman is in a dark corner, he's overhearing this conversation, and Esther spills the beans and said, hey, it's Haman's fault. And I, I think he might have spilt his cup or dropped his cup there. But Xerxes now knows what's happening. His fateful decision to destroy Mordecai and all of Mordecai's people was coming back to haunt him. So, problem one was solved. Haman, he was dealt with. Haman would reap what he had sown. He had sown hate and destruction, and he would reap for those things. He had planned to impale Mordecai on that very tall pole, but he had erected a pole for his own destruction. Picking up back in uh, verse 6 in chapter 7, then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up uh, in a rage, left his wine, and went out of the palace garden, or he went into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Verse 8 says, Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was re reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me here in the house? As soon as word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbana, one of the eunuchs, attending the king, he said to him, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai who spoke up uh, to help the king, and the king Xerxes said, impel him, talking about Haman, on it. So they impelled Haman on the pole that he had set up for Mordecai, and then the king's fury subsided. What a time. What a story. Haman knew immediately that he was in trouble. I mean, we, we read that. There was nowhere to go for him. There was nowhere to hide. His fate was decided. His only thought was to beg for mercy from Queen Esther. 
the king stepped out and he, he ran to the couch where Esther was reclining. He fell on her, begging her, saying, please, 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 you know the situation. Please help me out here, is what he was saying. When the king walked back in and he saw what Haman was doing, he, the king, thought the action was some kind of physical or sexual even advance at his queen, his own wife. And this fired up the king even more. In verse 8, we see that they covered Haman's face. Scholars believe that this is referring to uh, the covering face uh, of a condemned person. And there are two schools of thought there. Number one, the condemned person had no right to see the king anymore, and that's why they did it. And number two, they covered his face so the king would be, pro- would be protected from seeing the evil in the person's eyes, in Haman's eyes. It was suggested that Haman, that they put Haman on the pole that he had erected for Mordecai, and well, that's what happened. Problem solved. But I'm afraid there was still a problem. Uh, Let's see how uh, problem two was solved. Uh, The threat to the Jews had to be eliminated. Uh, So Esther, she had a request, and her request was to please overturn the edict that Haman had established. Everything that belonged to Haman was now given to Esther. Uh, The king took back the signet ring that he had given to Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai instead. And Mordecai was appointed to oversee Haman's estate. And keep in mind, Mordecai was a man that Haman hated. But this was not about financial or political gain. This was about saving her people from a terrible fate. The edict that Haman sent out said that on the 13th day of the 12th month, people could steal, kill, and destroy the Jewish people at will. If they wanted to do it, they could, by all means. If, someone, if something wasn't done about that, if the law wasn't changed, Esther's people, the Jewish people, would be goners. They would be history. So Esther made this request in chapter 8, starting in verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. She said, if it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. And verse 6 says this, For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? That's what Esther was saying. Esther poured her heart out to her husband, to the king. So he had to come up with some way to help Esther's people. And according to Persian law, once a document was written in the king's name and sealed with his ring, there was no going back from that. So Xerxes had to figure out a way to save her people, Esther's people. Let's look at the king's compromise. 
a new edict had to you know, be made. Somebody had to come up with something else. The king's idea was brilliant. It was the only way to keep the law and save Esther's people. Still in uh, chapter 8, verse 11 says this, The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of, of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. The compromise was that the original edict was still law. I mean, it was. If people wanted to attack the Jewish people, they could do so on that day, the 13th day of the 12th month. That did not change. But what did change was the Jewish people uh, and how they could respond. That wasn't written in the first one. But they could respond. On the same day, the Jewish people could defend themselves. A copy of the new edict went throughout the land. The Jewish folks, they were ecstatic about it. They celebrated and they rejoiced, the Bible says. They knew that there was hope because of this new edict. And what would happen on the 13th day of the 12th month? What would happen? We go to Esther chapter 9 to uh, find out. So let's look at the final outcome. The Jews had victory over their enemies. The king had uh, given the Jews the right to defend themselves, and that is what they did. So like I said, picking up in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the, of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. So, this saved Esther's people, the Jewish people, and made Mordecai a powerful and influential man there in the Persian Empire. Esther's life and the lives of her people hung in the balance. We looked at that this morning. They, they were hanging in the balance. She did what she could. She did what her conscience told her to do, even though there were some risk involved. She trusted in God, and God blessed the outcome. It was a happy story when things were a little rocky and things were very riskful at one time. So how does this apply to us, 2023? We have decisions to make all the time. Will I choose that school? Will I choose that job? Will I choose that church even? <laughs> and it may seem like these decisions are not that big, but they can be. 
What do we do when life, when our life hangs in the balance? What decisions will we make? What choices will we make? Life hangs in the balance. When life hangs in the balance, make the right choice. And like the big big idea said this morning, trust in God, trust in Jesus. But we need to make the right choices. The right choice should be inspired by the Word of God, a.k.a. the Bible, and also our personal relationship with God. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 2. It says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Right choices are choices that are right according to the Word of God, according to the Bible. You know, we we can't just determine today that because I want something to be right, that it's going to be right. I can't uh, just decide that because, you know, society or culture tells me that it is okay, that it's suddenly okay. And I believe that society and the world and everything right now is like pushing us or try to push us that way. It is always right to love people. That's what God wants us to do. But I cannot compromise the truth of God's word because I love people. The Proverbs writer understood this as well. Again, in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15, he says this, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Also in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but In the end, it leads in death. The world pushes us towards the edge. The world promotes an idea that seems good. You know, because I love people, I I don't want to be offensive. Again, that's what the world is telling us to do. I don't want to have to tell these folks or anybody about sin I just want to be friends with them. And I want to love them. And that seems right. Right? But there is a problem with this kind of thinking. You know, one day, we will all, say all. We will be judged. We will all be judged, not based on what seems right. But we will be judged on what God has said. And what is found in his word. You know, if I don't tell those people what seems right to God because I say I love them, then I will love them straight to hell. I don't know. But that fact right there, if you don't tell them what's right because you love them, that doesn't seem like love at all. You know, a lot of you have kids, you have grandkids, you love your kids and you, and you love your grandkids and you teach them right from wrong. One day, either now or as they grow up, they'll have to decide on their own what is right and what is wrong. But you right now, you have the responsibility as parents and grandparents to teach them for their souls, your kids, your grandkids' souls, Hang in the balance. You can't make 
them make the right decision. But you can show them, you can show them the way in love. Loving someone doesn't mean that you and I can't speak truth to them. But I would add that we shouldn't speak truth to people in a hateful or a mean-spirited way. We want all people to come to know Jesus. We want them to know Christ and to understand his love for them. He came to serve. Jesus didn't come to condemn. What that means is that we were already condemned. Without Jesus, we are condemned. So the greatest choice that we personally can make is help others to follow Jesus, to follow Christ. You know, each of us is responsible. Each of us has to make that choice. Are we going to follow Jesus or not? You know, I personally, too, I have to make choices. No one can make these choices or any choice for me. Aaron can't, my parents can't, my brother can't. Um, I have to do it myself. And I can't blame my parents. I can't blame society. I can't blame the church even. I can only look at myself and the decisions that I personally have made. Galatians 6, 5 says this, for each one should carry their own load. And one day we will answer to God for the choices that we all make. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether it's good or bad. Your fate is in your hands. Whose hands is your fate in? Yours. It's in mine. You have to make the decision to follow Jesus or not follow him. You have to understand your responsibility to make the right choices in life and to encourage others to make those same right choices. Every person you know will one day go before the judgment seat of God. Life is going to end. Like either we're going to die first or Jesus Christ himself is going to come back like the Bible says. But are you ready for that moment to happen where you see the other side and you stand before the judgment seat? Are you going to be allowed entry into heaven or are you going to be doomed to hell? It's your choice. You know, every person, every single person is going to be in that line one day. And they're going to have acceptance into heaven or they're going to be rejected to hell. And they will not be judged based on what the world says is right. <laughs> they will not be judged upon what you think is fair. They will be judged based on what God and what scripture says is right. So church... I'm telling you, telling you today to understand your responsibility. Your soul and the souls of those that you care about, they hang in the balance. 
make the right choices today and trust in God. You know, as we close, remember when your soul hung in the balance, what did Jesus do for you? Jesus took the necessary steps to save you and to give you victory. Jesus knew that your sins already condemned you. He did not come to condemn, but he came to offer salvation. We also need to make the right decision. When life hangs in the balance, do what Esther did. Put your trust in God or put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. We just thank you so much again for another challenge from the book of Esther. God, we're so grateful and we're so thankful that she took the risk to save her people. She did the right thing, even though there was many things against her and her folks. She stood up and she did the right thing. Her life hung in the balance. Her people's life hung in the balance. And God, ours do too. You know, in this world today, God, we, we, we hear a lot of lies. We hear a lot of twisted up scripture with a lot of evil behind it. But God, I pray that each one of us in this room, in the sound of my voice and watching online this morning, God, that we know that we need to really understand and really study what the word of, of God, what your word says, what the Bible says, that we can truly know the truth. God, let's put our lives in you. Let's put our lives in your son, Jesus. God, there's a lot of lost people in this world, right here in Wilson County. But God, when we line up for judgment, <laughs> let's do our part for ourselves and, and those that we love and that we care about. Let's try to get them to have a relationship with your son, Jesus, to believe in what he did for us by dying on the cross and resurrecting three days later. Because we want to be granted entry into heaven. We don't want to be denied. So when life hangs in the balance, let's always choose you and not what the world or what society is telling us. That's our challenge today and every day. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, uh, little decisions can, can have such a great impact. Life and death, you know, they hang in the balance. Did you know that nearly 700 deaths have occurred at the Grand Canyon since the 1870s? So over 700 deaths. Many of these could have been avoided if the people made uh, a good decision. You know, for example, in 1992, a 38-year-old father jokingly tried to frighten his teenage daughter by leaping onto a guardrail there at the Grand Canyon. You know, he was flapping his arms and pretending to lose his balance. Then he comically fell on the canyon side into a ledge he assumed was safe. 
But sadly, after ignoring numerous warning signs, he lost his footing and he fell 400 feet down. Then in 2012, an 18-year-old girl who was hiking on the North Rim Trail there at the Grand Canyon decided to venture off the beaten path to have her picture taken at a spot known as Inspiration Point. As she sat down on the ledge of the 1,500-foot deep canyon, the rocks gave away, and sadly, she plummeted to her death. Two examples there of deaths at the Grand Canyon. You know, today and every day, we have choices to make. And I feel like I've been pretty clear about this in this message today. But will I and will you put your trust in the rock? And no, I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson. But will you put your faith and your trust in the rock who's called Jesus Christ? Or will you put your trust in the world? You know, Jesus told this parable real, real quick. Uh, from Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and, and the winds blew, and, and they beat uh, against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash, Jesus said. So why don't you put your faith, your trust, into the rock, Jesus Christ, today? You know, if you want to do that this morning, or if you want to rededicate your life to, to Jesus, I invite you to come down. I'm going to be down forward, uh, here down, down on the floor. So come see me as we stand and uh, as we sing our closing song today.